Hey y'all, this is Seba, the Southern Fried Witch, and this is episode 6. Y'all, today I'm going to try something new. I'd put out a call to see if anyone wanted to send me any questions, or even a reflection, a thought about something, and I got back some of the most delicious things. My little doggies are sitting on the floor beside me, so... You may hear me do what I'm about to do now, like this. Khaki, stop that girl. Because she was scratching. And I can't help that, and if it's just not professional enough, I am so sorry y'all have the wrong podcast. We're going to be as real as we can be. I had tried to wait until I wasn't sick anymore, but whatever this is has had a real hold on me, and I really need to podcast. I need to speak to y'all, so... You're going to have to take that realness, too. Hopefully I won't sneeze on the microphone. So here we go. This is what I got. And they're broken down by episodes, which just tickled my fancy. Thank you so much. Episode one. This one is from Witch of the Great White North. Now, she doesn't have any questions on this one. She has a reflection, and she wants me to read it. Now, I'm going to do it. I cannot imagine what her accent really is. Um, I assume the great white north is Canada. So you're going to get to hear Canadian words said in a very southern accent. And here we go. It's taken me several weeks to digest the first episode and work up the gumption to send this. Your spiritual and personal remodeling resonated so deeply that I listened in fits and starts through gut-wrenching sobs and tears. That makes me feel bad. You see, dear Seba, there were so many touch points I couldn't dare listen in one take. I think what I want to share is that the dark places, the ones where we feel most alone and paralyzed, are more universal than we are led to believe. I'm sharing this as a reminder to myself and hopefully other listeners. I'm just starting my decluttering, and man, is it ever hard. You've given me hope that it does get better. Maybe I need to start blogging again. Love you, sister. Blessed be. You know, I reckon my response to that is, I know exactly how you feel. That particular episode, while being under 30 minutes, took me about three days, I think, to record. It's not as easy as it looks. (laughs) Um, But mostly it was difficult because that was such a tall mountain for me to climb. I've done a lot of things in my life that were hard. I was on the streets by the time I was 13 years old and I only had a seventh grade education. So the long, hard climb up the education mountain wasn't easy. I had three kids. I was single at the time. I had two jobs, and I was in a place where I didn't know anyone, so I had no familial support. 
and I struggled all the way up that mountain, all the way up to a doctorate degree. And that was not as hard as creating boundaries. I've noticed that there are a lot of people out there that when you try to create boundaries for yourself will make you feel guilty. And I've also heard a lot of people, a lot of folks, use boundaries in the wrong way. The word itself. Say if they want something from you, and they even try to demand something from you, and then you don't give it, and they call out foul that you've broken one of their boundaries. No, 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 no. That's not a boundary. Um, What they're trying desperately to do is get past yours, and they're flipping it. What you've done is you haven't satisfied some kind of need in them, but you haven't crossed a boundary by not giving them exactly what they demand. And I've noticed that word get misused quite a lot. But intelligent witches, y'all, you know what the word means. If you don't know what the word means, go outside and look, if you can find one, at a fence. Especially one that would separate your property up against the fence of somebody else's property. Okay? Now, if they demand something to be given across that fence, and you say, no, thank you, you didn't cross the boundary. You see how that works? If they reach across that fence, though, and smack you about because you didn't give them a cup of sugar then they have crossed a boundary. So be very careful with gaslighting. I've always thought it was a double sin, and you know how much I hate using that word, but I use it ironically here, or at least double trouble, to gaslight a witch. We already have so much we're up against to make us question our own instincts, our own guts, and our own magic. Well, that's blasphemy to me. So, Lisa, thank you for sharing your thoughts on that. And whatever it is that you're going through, whatever is making your gut wrench, I'm standing right here beside you, not reaching over the fence, but I'm here if you need something. Love you, too. All right, we have another one, and it's from episode two. And I'm hoping so hard that I'm not going to fuck this up. Okay, this is from... Miss Wiyana. Um, I'm told it's a mashup of Irish meaning little trickster and homage to being a Gemini all at the same time. And I think it's beautiful. And this lovely human being, this lovely witch, has given me um, two things. A reflection and a handful of questions. So here we go. She says, in episode two, you spoke about oaths, among other things dear to me. Oath-making hit a chord, and it got me thinking. There are times before I started my croning, where I let others wheedle an oath from me in a far more cavalier fashion than I would do now. Then, said individual, has broken the trust in the oath. First question predicated on this thought is this. Are they as culpable as I? Am I the only one beholden to the oath? This is deep stuff for a witch. If I'm not as good as my word, why should I expect her to have my back? You know? 
And y'all, her is in all capital. So I'm pretty sure we're talking about Big Mama here, the great mother. And then she asked me, what are my thoughts? Well, well, these are my thoughts. And uh, again, I'm just a witch like the rest of y'all. Yeah, I really do hate that I feel this way, but I believe that we do still have certain oaths that we need to continue. Now, if you're smart, you'll be able to find a way to stay true to the spirit of the situation, especially if someone has been an asshat. And we all know that asshats sometimes wear witch hats, right? So I do think that you need to remember an oath is an oath. And some people not necessarily myself, believe that if someone else has broken the oath, then the whole oath is broken. I think it's important to stay somehow true to that oath if you can. Otherwise, I think it's time for a deep conversation with Big Mama and see what she has to say about the whole thing. Um, Are they as culpable as I? Uh, Yeah. Am I the only one beholden to the earth? Shit, baby, um, do you feel beholden? Because that's usually your first answer. Isn't it funny? Our gut knows these things. I think Big Mama does have our backs, as long as we're seriously trying to do the right thing and the honorable thing. So I do think she'd have your back either way, even if you fucked up. I really would need a, a bit of a an example here, Miss Wiana. Um, here's one thought. So sometimes when we take oaths, you know that we do so in a ritual. Um, sometimes they have to do with initiations or they have to do with certain kinds of alliances. And what I am careful to do is to build in a kind of a clause at the end of these things that states, if that person breaks oath with me or breaks the conditions and the terms of what we are doing, that I am no longer beholden to that oath, that I am thereby released. That's a really good thing to put into almost every oath you take. Now, We don't need to be tomfoolery about, did they really break an oath? Let's not be semantical when it comes to witchcraft. You know what that is. So if somebody just talks a little trash behind your back, that may piss you off, witch. But let's be honest. Do you really think that that's breaking the oath? Not unless the oath was, never talk shit about me behind my back, right? Um, and we could be, we could play with semantics here and say, well, they were to be loyal to me in some way. Yeah, but you knew what way you were actually speaking of. And it wasn't that they could never call you a bitch, was it? Okay. But there are bigger ones, I think. I mean, when you think about a divorce, did you stand there and take an oath to be with that person for the rest of your life? Well, I don't know. Some of us do oaths differently when we wed, you know, when we get married. Um, I was very careful about mine and about what I would do. I have promised to care for him 
for the rest of his life. I have promised to give it my best damn shot to be noble and honest. I have promised, and I mean right down to the bone, to be monogamous with him. That's something that it was non-negotiable for my husband. And I have held to that promise. I know exactly what he means by that. And I'm 11 years in, so there's no coming out. Now, what if I promised all those things that I would be monogamous with him and that I would put up with any kind of jackass shit he might decide to pull on me, which, you know, love you, baby, but you've pulled some jackass shit. He's listening. He's awful cute, though. And what if he just took off and left me? Okay, I'm going to leave out a lot of personal stuff here, but I'm going to use it as an analogy. That condition of monogamy was predicated on a lifetime relationship with him. If he has taken away the lifetime relationship, I have nothing left to be monogamous to. Did that make any sense? Is it still there to hold the oath too, if it's missing altogether, whatever rock that was uh, placed upon, where do you place your oath if the rock is gone? I know it. Philosophy, it's, uh, it's a witch's matrix, isn't it? But I'll give you a better for instance real quick. And that is, I have asked everyone who's ever initiated into our coven In their vows, I did this, in their vows, in front of witnesses, to please, if they needed to break oath with us or with me, to please do so in ritual, do so with honor, even if you're angry, steam coming out of your ears, or if tears are rolling down your face and it's so painful you can't breathe, because that is the only way to cleanly undo that tie. I've only had one person in all of my years of having this coven actually do so. She had to leave for her own reasons. It was nothing nefarious. And so we set the ritual. And we told each other how much we loved each other. And we did end up on our knees, holding each other tight. And the last thing I said to her was, run, run because I was so afraid I'd hold on. It was painful, but it was done beautifully. About two and a half years ago, she came back. She is one of the most honorable, witchy, animal spirit talking, little priestess students I have ever had. And obviously, she knows how to hold an oath. So, I'm not sure that I answered your question, I'm sorry about the southerness and going around the whole house, but I will tell you this. If you want to chat about it some more, I would love to hear from you. We can do it in email. And thank you so much for this question. It's a hard one, and that means it's worth doing. All right, now then we have a reflection from episode three from Lisa, a transplanted southerner. What are your thoughts on spirits of loved ones following you or your kids? You know what I'm asking? 
For example, do you think grandma would follow one of your kids if they moved to Alabama? I'm going to save her P.S. while we answer this question. All right, Lisa, this one is also complicated. And thank you for stretching my witch brain today. My answer is yes, no, maybe. <laughs> I'm sorry, baby. I don't know. Um, some spirits of our loved ones are attached to homes. Some are attached to land. Some are attached to people. And some aren't attached at all. In particular, my grandma was attached to me. She didn't want to leave me. I was her favorite. I was the oldest. I'm her namesake. We used to be able to talk in our heads ever since I was a tiny little girl. Now, I live three and a half hours away from where she lived when she died. And she visits me so much that sometimes I'm not sure she's dead. Now, when I don't listen to her, she likes to pretend she's calling me on the telephone in my sleep. And it's about the most precious thing in the entire world. It's not what I plan to do when I haunt people, but I reckon it works. I'll be in the middle of a dream. The dream will get completely interrupted by the ringing of a telephone in my ear. And I'll answer it sort of in this visceral little dream space. And the last time I did this, she said, I'm going to have to leave my real name out here. Baby, I've been trying to reach you. And then, of course, I try to answer her. And when I do, the sound of my own voice wakes me up. That's only when I'm ignoring what she wants to tell me. Now, what I plan to do with that, when I die, I've got a whole list of people I'm haunting. Some because I'm still pissed and they need to know a few things. Some because they came out of my body and I want to make sure they don't fuck up their lives. And some because they just really asked me to. My plan is not to call them on the telephone. My plan is to sing Henry VIII I Am until they lose their minds and listen to me. Ghost was one of my favorite movies growing up, so... Well, not growing up. Well, kinda, y'all, because my 30s were growing up. So, yes, no, maybe. Do they want to? Do you want them to? I cannot imagine my grandma not being able to reach me by phone in Paris or South America or right here, right now. Usually when she shows up, there's a smell that kind of runs through like on a, on a thread, like on a tiny little golden breeze that runs right in front of your face. Other people have smelled it. It's like roses and baby powder and really fresh, healthy dirt. And I've smelled this in the dead of winter and the dead of a freeze. And other people are always sort of afraid because I think that even sometimes witches are shocked that magic is real. And I do think that hauntings are magic, especially if you decided to do that before you leave the planet. What I know to be true is my grandma would follow me anywhere. And one of the reasons I think she's doing it, because she did tell me this one time, I think I was around 13, and I used to cry about the possibility of her dying. Now, I did that 
from the time I was a little girl. I would just begin to wail in the middle of the night and nobody could comfort me because I had realized that one day grandma would die. And I pretty much was sure she was the only person who loved me and I loved her just as fiercely. Just that hard. She didn't die until I was 42, but she promised to be waiting when I did. And I factor that my grandma is just a little worried that she won't be around that moment, so she doesn't leave very often. I doubt very seriously she'd follow my boys because she's too worried about their mama. That's one fantastic question, darling. Thank you. Now I'm going to read the P.S. to that. Where is it? P.S. My Roo, Archer, can hear the Roo in your intro. I've played a few times just to giggle. In any case, Archer answers the intro Roo every time. From one chicken mama to another, I thought you'd appreciate that. Well, damn girl, I do. And I want to tell you about that rooster, but I don't want to take too much time on it because there are other people who listen to this podcast who don't give a shit about roosters. But just quickly... He has tried to flog me only once, scared the living crap out of me. He got humiliated in front of his girls upside down. And I've decided that that one time is his one mistake, and it's been a month, hasn't happened again. So he has about an 85% shot of getting to live out his life here. I mean, he eyeballs me every time I go in. But I think we've got a deal So sometimes you're going to hear him break in. Where I sit to do this podcast is at the back of the house. You're going to hear chickens cackling sometimes when they lay an egg. I guess it hurts. You're going to hear him sometimes. And I've named all of my chickens except for him. I thought I had a name in and it didn't fit, didn't suit. So if you have any ideas or if any of y'all have any ideas of what to name that rooster... He's a French Moran. He had his one little shot to mess up, and I've decided he can stay. Pop me some ideas. Alrighty. There are just a few other little thoughts, and one more question. From Anonymous. I made a trip to Ireland this year and reconnected with my familial roots. What's up, my friend? Me too. Uh, Not on going to Ireland, I wish, but guess what? We're related. Whilst there, I learned that Samhain, along with Imbolc, Lunasa, and Beltane, are not single-day events. They are seasons, according to those in Ireland who practice the old ways. This has changed how I work in these seasons, my awareness of the thinking of the veil, how she, in all caps, comes to fullness in the spring and so on. All right, Anonymous, you are right down my alley. See, I think that people forget that summer is not one day. All kinds of witches I know celebrate Litha on Litha, and we're done. And we all damn straight know that summer is longer than one day. Same thing with all the others. Personally, I've been preparing for Mabon for a long time, and I'm still kind of feeling her strong. It does help that I'm a gardener and I have corn. And corn always kind of brings me around to a harvest sort of sensibility. 
But part of me is also revving up and preparing, and it's not the end of September yet, for October, the witch's season. I'm already feeling it in the air and fighting myself not to go buy extra decorations. So, yeah, thank you for that. That is such a deep lesson. Being able to actually be part of the wheel of the seasons and the harvest means that you can't ignore when they're coming on and you can't ignore when they're leaving. And then we have one more from Miss Wiana. And I'm sorry if I'm putting an accent on that. I don't really know if I'm doing it right, but it's a beautiful name. Seba, I've been at this a long time, mostly alone. And as I'm getting on, I miss reading and learning. Without casting aspersions, I find most books that talk about the craft so trite. I just can't. Any suggested reads? Yes, girl. Let me get those for you. I think one of the biggest mistakes we make as witches is only reading witch work. I'm not going to lie, though. The Spiral Dance has always meant something to me by Starhawk. Um, Some of it fairly wicked, and I don't wick but I sure do get the heart of that kind of thing. But let's talk about one other pagan book, and then I'm going to give you something really cool. And that is this, The Pagan Book of Living and Dying, also by Starhawk. This particular book has meant way more to me than any other book that was actually written by a witch. No aspirations either, anybody. No insult, no foul. But this one really mattered to me because I've always thought that maybe we don't need to be so focused on living a good life. Maybe we need to be more focused on having a good death. Because if we do, the good life kind of comes. I don't know if that made any sense. So check that book out. And then there's a book of fiction and it's called Like Water for Chocolate. It's in both Spanish and English. I've had to read both, and I've taught it several times at universities. It is the most beautifully magic, delicious, because it has all these recipes, too. So it leans towards that kitchen witch kind of feel, and it's done by Laura Esquirrel. It looks like S-Squirrel, but anyway, there you go. Try that one out. The one I ask all my students to read, though... And this one is kind of dense and very difficult to read. But boy, will you never be sorry. Is The Feminine and the Sacred by Julia Kristeva and Catherine Clement. That one has saved my life. It talks about sacred in a way that makes more sense to me than anything else I've ever read. Um, they align the whole concept with the French word sacré. I'm not saying that well either, y'all, still from Alabama. And in French, that word both means holy and blessed, as well as damned. It just depends on how you use it. And they contend that the sacred tends to go in the reverse. And the moment you try to hold it, own it, it becomes dogma because it has to be fluid and moving. That book changed my life. So there you go. If you can get through it, 
it was worth every minute for me. And you also might want to check out this wonderful author. Her name is Carol P. Christ. I ended up quoting this woman so many times in my dissertation, and it was about pagan goddesses, and I cannot tell you how satisfying it was to say, Christ says, and then put a quote in. My favorite book she's done is She Who Changes, Reimagining the Divine in the World. So check that out too. Remember, sometimes the best witchcraft books have not been written by outright witches. I mean, the market can be kind of cruel to those of us who are trying to write like that. I hope those couple of books made a little bit of sense. I'll think about a bigger list if you want me to. We have one more thing from Lisa. It says, tell Wolf Braun he is appreciated, particularly for saving the old blocks. I'll tell him, honey, he worked his little butt off. And I'm really happy about that, too. I think we did lose about 45. I've been looking through them, and I think they're about a 45 post loss. I'll look back through my own records and see if I can find those. But I don't intend on stopping the blogging just because of the podcast. So maybe there'll be new ones too. All righty. Well, that was all of the ones that I ended up getting. And I sure would like more. Please send them in to Seba at the southernfriedwitch.com and make sure I know what name you want read out loud. Thanks to everybody who wrote in and gave me some questions or just a thought or two. But here's your P.S. I got up and I went to the bathroom and I left this thing recording. I really do almost want to share it with you, but it's so private and so wonderful. Nearly brought me to tears, but it felt too good to actually do that. There was a whisper that got recorded. Just one. And it sounds just like the word, baby. Do I believe that my grandma still hangs out with me? Yes. Every time I mention her name. Y'all have been listening to the Southern Fried Witch Podcast. Come back around next week for a little bit more magic from the deep south.